Well, today uh, I'm ending the series called The End. This is the end of the end series. And I'm speaking about heaven and hell. Uh, It is a a topic, uh, neither one of these topics are that popular today in churches. Uh, uh, I don't know why, they're both in the Bible a lot. Um, But when we get down to specifics, we don't talk about them in detail. We just talk about them in generalizations. I heard a story uh, that one day Cain and Abel found a wall and they climbed it. And they looked over and they went back to Adam and said, Daddy, you'll never believe what we saw on the other side of that wall. There was luxurious foliage and fruit and flowers. And they said, Daddy, do you think we could ever live in a place like that? And he said, we did once, but that was before your mother ate us out of a house and home. The the truth of, of it is Adam sinned. But not only Adam, you and I have sinned. And we were separated from God. And as we talk about heaven and hell today, we need to keep in mind, I want you to know that there's a reason we use the word salvation. What are we saved from? It's not just from ourselves, just so you'll know. It's from this place called hell. And in Isaiah, it says this, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, that's Jesus Christ there, the sins of us all. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God is so holy that he cannot cohabitate with sin. he He can't do it. He's too holy. And so his creation was separated from him. But he's so loving that he made a way to draw his creation back to him. And that way was the path that is found through the Old Testament all the way to the New. It's all a story about the Messiah coming, you know, the whole Bible. That story ends with Jesus paying the price for our sins so we could be reunited with God the Father and live in an amazing place once again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come in power. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would attend this message because it is the Holy Word of God, the Bible. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be the same because we take it to heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Because I want to end on a positive, I'm going to start with hell today. <clears throat> I do have a positive motive. So it's, it's the only positive thing I can think about when I, when I talk about hell, and that's that I'm really trying to keep people from going there. That's the positive in this. We don't want anyone to go there. And so we, we, we look at these things. What does the Bible say? What does the book of Revelation say about the end times and the end of human life and <clears throat> what it means for believers and unbelievers? Let's look first at the eternal punishment that's spoken of, the eternal punishment of unbelievers. I thought it might be good to start with what Jesus said about hell. Because we, we've just made it all so cutesy, you know, the Bible. We, we like all the love parts. If we're not careful, uh, we'll create a Jeffersonian Bible. Anybody familiar with that terminology? Uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, great man in our history in America as a politician, went through the Bible and took out all the parts that he didn't like. And then he had it rebound, and, and you can still come up with one of those. And so, so we really don't have that privilege, any, you know, a man who... Uh, who, as time was shown, had some real flaws in his life, if you look historically, uh, even though he had some great uh, gifts and abilities. But you can't, you can't just 
tear out what you don't like. And we've made Jesus, we've made him out to be loving, yes, but we haven't made him out, we're not talking about the truthful statements he said that are hard statements. So what did he say about hell? Let's look. He said a lot. Matthew 13, 42, Jesus said, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth means it's so painful that they grind their teeth in agony. And then he said in Matthew 13, 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. That is how it will be at the end, that's the name of this series, the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Now these are the words of Jesus. A lot of people have just taken these words out and made their own Bible. Yeah, we're just going to share the sayings of Jesus that we like, but we're not going to share that one because that's too hard. Well, really, he's God. We're not, he is. And, and we need the full counsel of God. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, we're reading some really strong and even harsh things that are in Revelation. And the Bible says, if you seal up this scroll, it's a major problem. I want you to preach it because if you take away or add to the, to the sayings of this book, then the curses of this book will be added to you. This is all serious business. Jesus said these things. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Similar, but that's a, uh, something he said later as he was preaching to these people in Matthew 13. Matthew 22. Then the king told the attendants, this is Jesus again saying this, tie them hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's speaking of hell. Matthew 25, 46, still Jesus speaking. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. Maybe it seems strong when you saw me, you know, my point said the eternal punishment of unbelievers. It comes right from the Bible. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Matthew 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell where the fire never goes out. Words of Jesus Christ. Matthew 9, 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Notice sin is part of an issue here that he keeps bringing up and wickedness. Verse 48. Because when you come to Jesus, it's not, you don't get saved because of your behavior, but when you get saved, your behavior starts to change. And you, and you become, he, he'll help you to become more and more like him. And we can leave those things behind. Verse 48, where the, talks about hell and he says, where the worm does not die, and where the fire is not quenched. So whatever it is, there's, there's pain and there's agony there, but, but, but the, the human beings aren't consumed, they're, 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 but they're, they're having agony. You see, this is terrible. Hey, I, I didn't decide that I was going to make something up and bring it to people that was palatable. I'm just a preacher of the word, the word, nothing else but the word. That is my heart, my goal, my focus. This is the word, and not only is it the word, but it's the words of Jesus Christ. It is not within our power to create our own God. That is to say, the God that we would like to have. We must acknowledge the God who actually exists, not the one we want to make him. 
And this God's revealed in the Bible as gracious and merciful. It's true and loving. And he tells us that one day he will judge sin. Now listen, he's loving and he's patient. He's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. This sermon today has a focus of making sure that people don't perish. I think you're here because you're kind of tuned into this already. You probably don't need a lot of motivation about hell. But I want us to think about other people going there as well. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, he always puts a heart of love and compassion in us to reach to people because eternity is on the line. So why would you talk to a homosexual about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would you talk to someone who's living with their spouse, who's romping in sin, who's, who's spitting in the face of God? Why would you reach out with love to them to build a relationship, to care for them? And then to speak things that they don't want to hear because you're more interested in them finding eternity with God in heaven than you are about a little moment of awkwardness because you realize what's on the line for that person. If you really, really believe what's in the word, you care so much and you love so much that you reach. That's why we talk about these things. God is loving and part of love includes justice. Let me, let me just, just see if I can just bring this out a little bit. Even our own just, justice system, the law, we understand this. We don't let the rapist roam free. We don't let the pedophile have free access to children in our society if we know. We don't let the murderer continue to walk on the streets with his anger and keep doing it. Why? Because we are into justice too. Because we have people we want to protect. And that's love. To protect those who would be wounded by the wicked who care not. And yet, even those wicked, he does not want to destroy. He's giving them a chance. He's just. And he will punish eventually, but he's patient. Reaching and reaching. Ezekiel 18.23. Do you think... That I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Erwin Lutzer is a pastor from the world-famous Moody Bible Church in Chicago, and he was on an airplane once. And he says this, I sat next to an older woman, and we struck up a conversation about religion, and at one point in the discussion, she said with an air of confidence, if there's anything I know for sure, she said, it, it's this. Hell doesn't exist. And Irwin, Pastor Irwin said uh, that he repri- replied somewhat wryly, you know, you've put me in a really difficult dilemma because on the one hand, I wish you were right. But on the other hand, Jesus mentioned hell at least 11 times and that's more than the number of times he mentioned heaven. So you've put me in a predicament, he said, because either I have to go with you or I have to go with Jesus on this one. Don't feel too hurt, but I'm going with Jesus. Now, we go with Jesus because we care about people, right? Jesus doesn't want any to perish but wants all to be saved. It's about salvation. God sent Jesus to redeem mankind. He doesn't want to destroy his creation. But if people persist in their wickedness and they, they refuse, you need to know that it's true that there is a hell. What's hell like? 
Well, these aren't Jesus scriptures, but they're holy scriptures just as well. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord from the majesty of his power. Romans 2.9 says, There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing evil. 2 Peter 2.4 says, For if he, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, remember Lucifer and he, he rebelled against God in heaven and a third of the angels with him and he was thrown down, that's these angels. If he didn't spare those angels when they sinned but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, it goes on to say uh, that, that, you know, what makes us think everybody else will escape if the angels didn't escape. They were pretty close to him one day. Revelation 19.20, they were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Luke 16.23, in hell, where he was in torment. This is talking about Lazarus now. He looked up and saw Abraham afar off. Torment. Revelation 14.11, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. I wish I could make it easier, but that's not what it says. It doesn't make it easy. I think I need to tell you what's in here, not tell you what you want to hear. What's popular isn't necessarily what's right, and what's right isn't necessarily what's popular. In the New Testament, this word that we're talking about today, hell, in the Greek is it's most often, often rather translated Gehenna. And the Jews got a very vivid picture when the word for hell, Gehenna was used because Gehenna was located in the Valley of Hinnom, which was a deep ravine just south of Jerusalem. So when it said Gehenna in those days, they knew exactly where Gehenna was. And here's what happened at Gehenna, this deep ravine south of Jerusalem. The fires burned continually there. It's a place where parents sacrificed their children as a burnt offering to the pagan god called Moloch. It was used as a garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. There was refuse and waste materials there. There were dead animals that were piled up there. And all of them were burned. And the fires were going continually there, smoldering and smoking, and the burning debris rose day and night. They knew when they said hell, Gehenna, exactly the type of atmosphere that it was speaking of. And this place is used by God in the Bible as a graphic symbol of the woe and judgment of the place of eternal punishment called hell. Happy little sermon for everybody today. Okay, I, I, this is not a trick question, so, but work with me here. Do a little exercise. Put your hand on your heart and see if you can feel your heartbeat. Feel it? You, you feel your heartbeat? Okay, you can put your hand down. Now here's the deal. Someday that's gonna stop. It's just gonna stop. And our neighbor's heartbeats are going to stop. Unless Jesus comes, and even then, it's too late, right? Listen, when the heartbeat stops, wherever people go into eternity, it, 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 their, their eternal destiny will be determined when the heartbeat stops. There's, there's absolutely no scriptural evidence that people can come to Jesus after they die or after um, their, their death. So all we've got is the time we're alive and the time they're alive. That's what we have. Someone said to me after last week's sermon about the great tribulation, would God let me stay? And it's, it's, it's a pretty new believer. Would, and it was right here in our lobby. Um, would God let me stay so I can reach people in the great tribulation? Because I have family members that don't know him. And I said, there's no scriptural evidence whatsoever that any believer will go into 
that setting to reach others. We have now, that's what we have. We have now, before we're raptured, before we die, whatever the case may be, this is the time we have to reach our family and loved ones. Some people say it's great that it's, that it's love if you don't talk to people about their lifestyle of sin, that you're accepting who they are. But I say it's a greater form of love to care so much about their eternal destiny that you're willing to take a little heat so they'll have an opportunity to come. That to me is a greater love. If I thought my daughter was walking into a pit of snakes where she'd be bitten, do you not think I would step in front of her and block her? If I thought my neighbor was going to step somewhere where they'd fall off a precipice and die, do you not think I would tell them with all my heart, whether they like the tone of my voice or not, that they would be lost? I'm just telling you there's a greater love than the world, the media, the, the media world is trying to get us to buy into. They only tell one half of the story. They don't tell it all. Now, who's sentenced to hell? I'm just going to hit this quick because I hit it earlier in one of the sermons. Revelation 20, 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The only way to heaven is to receive the only begotten Son who God the Father gave as the only way to salvation. You say, that is narrow-minded. So if there's a fire in front of that door, that door, and that door, and I say to you, go out that door because there's no fire, are you going to say that's narrow-minded? Are you going to say the exit sign that's the safe one is just too narrow-minded? I think I'll try the others. The point is, there are times where it's really true. There's just one way, right? Physically, we know that. And God has made it where he said, and he's, he's, he wants... Winked at ignorance, the Bible says, but now commands all men everywhere to come to him. He'll give a witness by us or some other way by his spirit. They'll get a witness and they will have to stand accountable to their decision. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. I have a friend, um, probably my best friend besides Karen. Karen's my best friend. Um, but but we were um, we were college buddies, and we played baseball together. And he was not an unbeliever when he came to school, and I I really liked him right from the start. I mean, he was just he was a handsome guy, and he was cool, and he was fun, and he was a great athlete, and he was funny. And uh, I liked him. He told me that he didn't like me at first, but he didn't tell me that till much later. Part of it is he knew I was a Christian at this time. And um, I remember uh, along the way, just enjoying him and encouraging him. I was an upperclassman. I was a junior when he was a freshman. And I would just encourage him and tell him how good that he was at what he did. And, and uh, I, I like to encourage people. It's a lot more fun than the alternative. You know, it's just, it's, life's just more fun when you encourage. And I see good things and I was telling him and, and, and we became friends. And we would talk about the Lord every now and then. He's, he's an unbeliever, doesn't know Jesus. And um, he seemed interested, but he also seemed, uh, it, it seemed like he believed it, but he didn't want to talk about it. You ever met people like that? They, they, he kind of believe it, but I don't want to talk about it. And I remember one conversation we had. Now, we had, a, we had a good relationship, but I remember the two of us in the locker room before we went out on the baseball field one day, a practice. And somehow, I was talking to him about the Lord. I don't know how it got started. And I said to him, Gino, you need to accept Jesus, man. 
There's just no way around it. You have to accept Jesus. And here's why. Now, I might not have been very good at witnessing, but this is my friend, right? I don't really know how to do it, but I know this. I knew enough to know, Gene, you know that there's a hell and there's a heaven. And, and this is not just about life enhancement, buddy. What you do with Jesus will determine where you go. And, and Gino said, well, I know that. And I said, wait, wait, wait. You believe that? He said, well, I believe that's true, but I'm just not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not going to do it. There's some stuff I want to do. I said, whoa, buddy, that's cold, man. That's cold because you never know when your ticket's going to be punched. And we left it there. And along the way, somehow we stayed friends because I didn't do that every day, right? And we laughed together and we still had fun together. But every now and then I'd talk to him. Then during a break in college, he was driving his car and had an accident and hit someone and almost, he was afraid that he had killed someone in the other car. And that night, when he laid in his bed, thinking about the accident that he just had, he wasn't hurt badly, she was. He thought about how close he was to his ticket being punched. And right there, my friend Gene, thinking of heaven and hell, and he could have been gone into eternity in that moment, bowed his knee to Jesus Christ and said, okay, Jesus, amen. It was really a cool, a cool moment for me with my buddy, who I love. How can you say you love him if you don't care about this stuff, right? You really love him? When he parked his little blue Volkswagen at the baseball field, he got out one day and he started running towards me and saying, Stan, I did it, I did it, I did it. I did not know what he was talking about. Because you know, I hadn't seen him, hadn't heard a thing. Comes up and hugs me and throws his arms around me and says, I did it, I did it. And I said, you did what? He said, I accepted Jesus, man. Today, my friend Gene works with ministries to help them raise funds. He's in the ministry himself and he's a really solid Christian. His name's Gene Christian. And some of you saw him one day. You remember that day that he came up here and stood beside me? I was talking about um, a friendship that I had and he happened to be in the service and I brought him up because I know he can do public speaking. He does that all the time. And uh, he's in. Now, I, I didn't save Gene because there's only one who saves, right? Uh, and I wasn't the only one reaching to Gene but Gene matters. And your best friend matters. And your mom and dad who don't know Jesus, it matters. It's, it's important. And your sister who's lost and gone astray. I know you've talked to her, but it's so important. It still matters. We can't quit. We have to keep reaching because there's a lot on the line. And I, I don't want anybody to go to hell. This is all about making sure nobody does. That's why we're talking about this today. That's why Jesus has come so that nobody would have to go. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to be saved. And he'll use us to bring it about. Eventually, just like, you remember the rapture takes place for Christians, we talked about that. And, and those that have died, you know, what about your loved ones that, that love Jesus? They've died, they've, they've, um, they've gone to heaven with their soul, their spirit, but when Jesus comes up, uh, comes at the rapture, that the dead in Christ will rise, their body will meet their spirit, right? So eventually our body and our spirit comes together. 
on, on that day. If we're, if we're raptured, our body and our spirit goes up and we all get new bodies. The dead that, that in Christ and, and, and all of us who are raptured, we all get an immortal body and a new body. We're, 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 we're not too young and not too old. We're just right, whatever that is. I, I don't know the theology on that. But I know we're not old and we're not young. And we have a, kind of like Jesus, you know, when he was walking along on the road to Emmaus and he had a glorified body. We're gonna have a glorified body somehow. But someday, now, now, now the, the souls of those who die who don't know Jesus go to a, a holding place. It's not purgatory. There's no chance to come out, but it's a place of torture and pain also called Hades. That's a word that's translated hell in the Bible at times too. Their soul and their spirit go to Hades, but someday at the great white throne judgment, all of the dead, even though their souls are in Hades, will be judged by Jesus himself, just like we're going to be judged in heaven, and, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And when the dead are judged, then Hades and the dead that did not know Christ are thrown into the lake of fire, and that's the eternal punishment place. So at the great white throne judgment, of their, their bodies will join their souls, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Here it is in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades, here it is, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. On the back of your cards this week, I've asked for two practical thoughts that um, you would consider. Number one, that you'd make a top 10 list of unsaved people and pray for them. The unsaved people you know, a top 10 list. And just pray for them on a regular basis, right? Don't even, don't even have to talk Talk to them with this one. You just pray for them. And you pray that, that the obstacles that the enemy would put in their past, that the lies that they've received would be broken, that the love of God would find them wherever they are. The second thing I've asked is that you invite an unsaved neighbor, friend, or family member to your house to start building a relationship. I'm not even asking for you to share Jesus with them. But part of the problem why unsaved people don't come to Christ is Christians get saved and pretty soon all they have is Christian friends and they don't reach to anybody anymore. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to keep reaching, loving, building relationships, caring. Even if they don't come to Jesus, we care, right? So I'm asking if you consider those two things as practical steps. Invite someone close by just to start building a relationship. Eventually when the relationship gets built and goes further, they ask for what's important uh, for you and, 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 and you'll find out what's important to them and you'll talk about these things and, and, and they'll come up. But just start a relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Here's Jesus again. This is the answer. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But we're his ambassadors Implores a very strong word. It might be a little exercise for you. Look it up. It means compel strongly. It means to go hard. Implore them to be reconciled to God. And that's part of our job as believers. To cause people to know their decision to follow Christ is, an, is the most important decision of their life on this earth. 
Second point, and boy, I'm going to have to fly. I'm, 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 I'm trying here. The eternal reward of the believers. Now, now I saved this for the end here. Um, I do have my, uh, my little pointer here. I have a diagram for you in a moment. But when will it happen? When will the, the eternal reward of the believers happen? What is the sequence of the events after the rapture? Let me, let me just show you this diagram. And it's, it's the closest thing I could get you to help. Here we, you know, here's Jesus dying on the cross, right? This is through the ages, in ages past, right? And then Jesus comes, he dies on the cross. And this is where we're at. We're in the church age here somewhere. I think we're about right there. That's what I think. I can't know that for sure, but I, but I think all the prophecies have been fulfilled and he's coming soon. Everything's in place. And, 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 and then this, this is the rapture. Just before the tribulation, the saints are raptured because uh, we are saved from the wrath to come, the scripture says, and I talked about that last week. And then here is the great tribulation I talked about last week. Seven years of tribulation in the last days uh, where the mark of the beast, and if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's sermon, go to the podcast and listen. It's worth a listen. You haven't heard me talk about those kind of things ever here before in such an exhaustive fashion, and it's, it's, it's motivational. And, and then, I don't have time to talk about this today, and it kind of bums me, because I really would like to talk about the millennium, but... But we're coming back with Jesus at his glorious appearing, the second coming of Christ, at the end of tribulation. He sets his foot down on Mount Olive. And, and when he does, he destroys the wicked. We read about that last week and talked about that. And, and there are some tribulation saints that are alive. They've come to Jesus. And, and that's the, right here, I don't have time to talk about it much today. I, could, I should have made this eight weeks instead of four. Uh, is what I'm finding out. But right here is the judgment of the sheep and the goats, you know. You did this, you fed, you clothed, you did this, and you came to me, uh, inner end, good and faithful servant. Uh, You you didn't do anything, and you didn't come to me, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, That's the only place where you see believer and unbeliever being judged in the same spot, and it's, 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 um, it's, it's that judgment right there when he comes back to earth immediately after uh, Mount Olivet, uh, and, and it's called the judgment of the nations or the, or the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And, and then the millennium starts right then. So the, the believers that are alive, get this, this is trippy, man. I mean, it it's almost sounds sci-fi, but this is what the Bible says. That there are humans that were in the tribulation that go into the millennium and they start to live for hundreds of years like Noah, you know, and, that, and, and Methuselah in those days, right? And there's Jesus, this is where the Jews missed it. Because they, they missed the coming of, of Christ as a baby because they thought he would come and establish a governmental power. And so the Bible talks about him coming that way. It's, but it's the millennium and they got it confused so they rejected him because they wanted a physical overtaking of government and cities. It actually happens in the millennium. We're with him. We're not mortal, but there are mortals that are there. I know that's the trippy part. And we're reigning with them in the millennium. There's a thousand years of peace where the lion lays down with the lamb. There's no murder. There's the, the, the nature and the environment co- comes, comes uh, un- under the beauty of God's uh, majesty and power. You know, if, you, if you're really an environmentalist, then, then, then believe in Christ because he's going to set it all right there too, okay? He, he's our only hope there too and, every, and everywhere else. He sets it right. And, and then they beat their, their uh, swords into plowshares and there's peace for a thousand years. Satan is bound during the millennium for a thousand years and that's why there's peace. Jesus literally reigns on the earth from Jerusalem and everybody uh, sees his goodness and his greatness 
And then Satan's released at the end of the thousand years. He goes out to those who've been following Jesus for this thousands of years, and they've got children now. And you know, you know, that's where we get in trouble in the church. You have a serious commitment, but your children and your children's children might lose their intensity for Jesus. Well, somehow when Satan is, is loosed at the end of the thousand years, um, then, then what happens is he deceives those that have, that have seen Jesus in his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. He deceives those people, those children. And they, he rallies them to come up as an army against Jesus in Jerusalem and then they're destroyed with fire from heaven. There's not even a, a war. It's just Jesus going, you know, and it's It's done. And then comes the great white throne judgment after that. And that's the judgment I spoke of earlier. This, the judgment will be right here, the great white throne, right at the end of the millennium where all the unbelievers, you, if you're a believer, you will not be at the great white throne judgment. Only the unbelievers. And that's what, re, what we just read in Revelation 21 is happening. And I am talking so fast. My dad was an auctioneer. My mother was a woman. That's why I can do that. And just kidding, just kidding. I talk, I talk more than my wife. I, I don't like stereotypes either. But I like that joke. I, anyway, um, so, so here, here we are with the eternal reward of the believers. Now, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 3.11. This is a judgment. Now, I'm going to go back for a moment. This is a judgment that happens to the believers who are raptured right in that period. So sometime in that seven years, probably immediately going that seven years, believers are judged at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ in heaven when we're, when we're called up. Now, some people don't know it. You think every believer gets the same reward, but they don't. We get the same reward generally in the sense that we get heaven. But God actually rewards us the Bible says that there are many crowns that are given, and those are for different purposes and reasons. And, and the Bible says that we lay up treasure in heaven. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians 3.11. So, so, I mean, some people don't lay up treasure in heaven and they're Christians, right? I just want to encourage you to be generous, because even that matters, you know? Generous to others and kind and loving and, and, and be concerned about all you do for the purpose of, of blessing others, but, but know that Christ sees all and will bring all to an account someday, even for believers, here it is in 1 Corinthians 3.11. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Still talking about heaven. For no one can lay any foundation other than one, the one we already have. That's Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may, may use a variety of materials. So in a way our lives are like a house and we're building, we're building um, with eternal things. That, only the things that count for, eternal, uh, or for eternity rather. Um, they're, they're, like, they're like gold, silver, and jewels. Okay, that's the eternal stuff it says there. And then, but we can build also with wood, hay, and straw. And those are the temporary things in life. Money, cars, pleasure, our own focus. Not that those things are bad, but if that's all we do, and we don't have any perspective for eternity, here's what happens. But on the judgment day, this is believers, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Eternal value is the point. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. These are believers receiving rewards. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Did you know it's possible for believers, even though they're going to heaven, to suffer loss? I don't think we'll live with regret because God allows our memories uh, to, to, to just dwell on the good when we're there. And I'll speak of that in a moment. But the builder will be saved, it says. So there's that person saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Wow, that's a little word picture for us. Just, 
just a thought. The Bema bema seat has, you know, live your life in such a way that you're still concerned even though you've got heaven, right? And and so believers have to give an account for their faithfulness or unfaithfulness to God, right? Because we're not perfect. We have unfaithful moments too. We'll be called to account for those things and it, 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 you know, we could suffer loss. Matthew 25, 23, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. When we reign with Christ, we'll even, our, our responsibilities will even be given on the basis of our, of our service here. Um, you know, the 24 elders are there with Christ. The apostles are there. And because they sacrifice so greatly, their reward and their authority is, is great in that place. I'm not saying that I understand everything, but I am saying that I understand that there's rewards that are different in heaven. That's all I'm saying. And so, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our dark secrets to light. That's the believer, guys. And we'll reveal our private motives. Then will God, God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So, so, so it's believers because we're getting praise, right, from God, and we're not getting condemnation uh, to, to a place where there's loss. There's no condemnation for the believer. But there can be a sense of loss. So, why would we discuss that? The principle of future accountability to God, should, this, this should help motivate us in our life. It should motivate us to love and kindness and mercy and generosity because these things, uh, they count. God's pleased with his children when they care about others and not just about themselves and when they care about these things of salvation that we spoke of earlier. So, we're caught up in the rapture. We experience the judgment of the believers at the Bema Seat of Christ. After the, and, and then after the great tribulation will come, we'll reign with Christ for a thousand years in the millennium. And then after the great white throne judgment, that is the place where we will live with God forever in the new heaven and earth. There's no more pain or sorrows or tears because there were humans before this, right? Now, they're, now here for the, for the believer, there's no more pain or sorrow or tears. And... and um, We'll live with God forever on the earth. So what's heaven like? It reminds me of a, a story I read about a woman who visited Yosemite and asked one of the guides, if you had only one hour to see Yosemite, what would you do? And the guide said, lady, if I had just one hour to see Yosemite, I would sit down on a rock and cry for that hour. And, and the point is, there's so much beauty and majesty in heaven that I can't give an accurate representation, but I'm gonna try to give a quick summary. I, so, at some point, I studied this so hard and I can't give it all today, I don't have time. At some point, I'll come back and talk about heaven a little bit more exhaustively in a sermon in the future, but let me give you a summary. Then I saw heaven, Revelation 21, and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. So there's a new earth coming. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So heaven, in the sky, there's a new Jerusalem and it comes down to earth. I don't know if you can catch that, but they'll actually, it'll be the new Jerusalem on the new earth. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. So now it's not just Jesus, but God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So a new heaven 
and a new earth. Now, I got to move quick. I hope this isn't boring. It's exciting. If, you, if, you can, if you're like me, you can't focus well. But I'm asking you to don't be like me and focus for just a moment. To erase all traces of sin, there'll be the destruction of the earth, the stars, and the galaxies, the Bible tells us. Everything will be destroyed. Now look on the screen and follow with me as I, as I read. I just have a reference point. Heaven and earth will be shaken and will vanish like smoke, according to the scriptures. The stars will be dissolved and the elements destroyed. And then God will remake the earth or, or have a renewed earth. It's, it's the same earth remade, but way better. And it'll become the dwelling place of both humans and God. That's the millennium there. And all the redeemed will possess bodies like Christ's resurrection body, the ones that are real, visible, and tangible, but incorruptible and immortal. The new Jerusalem already exists in heaven and it will come to earth as a city of God. The new earth will become God's headquarters and will remain with his people forever. Now that was quick. But the effects of sin, sorrow, pain, unhappiness, death are gone forever. And, and if you went back to that diagram, the ages to come after the millennium, that's when we're with Christ forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. And here's some things we get in heaven. I'm gonna move quick again. Unending fellowship with God. Look on the screen. Unending newness. Unending water of life. Unimaginable beauty. Unparalleled size. Unbelievable wealth. Unending light. Unrestricted access. Unending fruit from the tree of life. Amazing worship unending reign, because we reign with Christ, rest from labor, complete knowledge, incredible joy, and glory that lasts forever. Just a taste. We'll never be separated from our loved ones again. There'll be no painful farewells that go from that point forward, only joyful reunions initially. Only, it's just going to be a prolonged love story from then on. No arguments, no hurt feelings, no injured egos, no doctors, no dentists. They won't be necessary because there's no sickness or pain. The wounded will be whole. For all eternity, he will be with us and we will know and see him. And you can see it in Isaiah 65, 17. I don't have that on the screen for you, but believers, although remembering all things worth remembering, will evidently not remember that which would cause them sorrow. So there may be a loss that suffered initially, but there's no sorrow in heaven. So that's an interesting thought, right? So all the things that aren't worth remembering, God just somehow, we, we don't have pain, pain anymore. It's, it's incredible. Dr. Robert Lee, and I close this story with this, I close this series with this story. Dr. Robert G. Lee, not E. Lee, but G. Lee, different guy, told the following story about his childhood on a farm. I want to read it to you. He said, their farm was so poor that they couldn't raise an umbrella on it, much less a mortgage. One day, he and his mother were on the front porch of their farmhouse, and she was sitting in a rocking chair, and he was on the floor with his head in his hands. He noticed his mother's hands were calloused and worn. He said, Mama, tell me about the happiest moment in your life. He thought she would tell him about the moment when his daddy, a Tall six-footer with dark eyes expressed his love to her, but she didn't tell him that. Maybe she'd tell him about the time when the moon spread over the little farm and there by the fence gate, his daddy had asked his mama to be his bride. But she didn't tell him that story either. Would she tell him about the day in that cabin in the corner of their farm where they shared their vows and with each other and how they'd kept those vows for over 50 years before daddy died? But she, she didn't tell him that story either. 
Finally, she said, son, you've asked a hard question. When all the men went off to war between the states, that's the Civil War, times got hard. We got our salt from the smokehouse floor and our tea from sassafras leaves. We made a substitute coffee from corn and the women did the work. And one day our family received word that my daddy had been killed in war. So he as a boy is asking his mama about the best moment ever and this is his mama, Elizabeth, giving the account. We received news that my daddy had been killed in war and before his death, my mama didn't cry much but after that, I could hear her sobbing in her pillow at night. And one day my mama was sitting on a porch very much like this, she said, and I was sitting at her feet, very much like you're sitting at my feet, and she had a bowl of beans in her lap that she was stringing and snapping. And suddenly a figure appeared across the field, and my mama turned to me and said, Elizabeth, I declare that, mom, that man walks just like your daddy. And she kept on snapping her beans, and after a while she said, Elizabeth, honey, that man looks just like your daddy. And I said, now mama, don't get all excited. You know daddy's dead. Don't get all excited. By the time the figure started across the cotton field, my mother exclaimed, Elizabeth, that is your daddy. And she threw those beans in the air and gathered up her skirt and ran across the field. And my daddy had lost an arm in the war, but he was alive. My mother met him and she put his other arm, her other arm around him, or he put rather his other arm around her. And they kissed and hugged and laughed. And I ran my finger up his sleeve and felt the funny little spot where his arm used to be. Son, I believe that that was the happiest day of my life. And then Dr. Lee, now an old man, said this, that day will pale into insignificance when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Oh, the joy. They say he's dead. They say he won't return, but someday he will. So, We're going to live like we know that, right? We're going to know that incredible joy awaits us and we're going to live to help others to know that eternal joy that can be theirs as well.